0: Thank you guys for leading us in worship this morning. Let's see, kiddos, if you would like to, um, oh, four years old through fourth grade, if you'd like to be dismissed for Children's Church, you can follow Miss Brenda and the gang out the back. And um, yeah, for the rest of you, um, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Genesis, I think we're going to start in chapter two today, yeah, chapter two. So Genesis. I was kind of joking about it last week, but we all love Genesis, right? Easy to find. Everybody, if you don't know your Bible well, everybody knows where Genesis is. So you can turn there on your uh, electronic device or in your old-fashioned hard copy of the Bible. And uh, let's see. As we do that, I wanted to. We've been talking about love. We've been talking about marriage. We've been talking about male and female and masculinity and femininity a little bit, and. Um, as I was preparing a little bit, I looked up some, some uh, things about, uh, some children were asked about what it meant to fall in love or what falling in love was like. Roger, who was age nine years old, said, falling in love is like an avalanche where you have to run for your life. I like that. Bobby, age eight, had a little more success. He said, love will find you, even if you're trying to hide from it. I've been trying to hide from it since I was five, but the girls keep finding me, so yeah. <laughs> It's very similar to many of your stories, I'm sure. Yeah, gentlemen, right? So women, just, they just keep finding me. It doesn't matter where I go. All right, so we talked a little bit last week about how the Bible, how Genesis in particular says that, that it was somehow in the gender and God creating the gender of male and female, that there was something about that in particular that bore the image of God. It bears the image of our Creator that He's created us with gender. Um, and there's something about you know masculinity and something about femininity that somehow captures different aspects of the gloriousness of God amen, and it 's a great thing, and when we know, and, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but you know when a man stands up and stands strong for his family or stands up for the defenseless, that is an image of God here on earth. We are bearing his image when a woman is, is caring caring for her children or caring for her parents or caring for, for someone else, that is bearing the image of God. our God is like that as well I mean he is, he, is, he is perfectly you know he 's that warring uh, uh, um, He's that champion warrior, and at the same time, he's that uh, tender-hearted man who, who, like what we see in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is very tender, and he said, you know, suffer not the little children to come to me, and at the same time, uh, laid down his life courageously on on behalf of all of us, amen, um, as he laid down his life and suffered on our behalf. And so, we see both in masculinity and femininity, in men and women both, that, that they both reveal the image of God, and they are both equal before God in importance, but that men and women, and particularly in marriage, men and women have different roles in marriage that's really defined in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. And so we're going to talk about those rules a little bit this morning, and and, and I wanted to kind of show you through it. So look really quickly. We read through these verses last week, but I didn't focus on them. So just pick up, if you would, in the middle of Genesis chapter 2. And verse 16, we're going to start in verses 16, 17, and read verses 16, 17, and 18. They're going to flip over to, to Genesis chapter 3 this morning. But I wanted you to know the differences about what it says um, about the differences between um, men and women. First, um, and the Lord. So so far in so far that God has created um, all of creation. He's created the garden in verse fifteen. Created the garden, and He put man in it. We read about this the first week of, of uh, June. He created man in there to work it and, and to take care of it. In other words, to to serve and to labor over and to guard or protect the garden. Um, and then in verse fifteen it says, "And the Lord commanded the man." You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. There are a couple of things in Genesis in particular where it points out that men were created to be leaders, that men in their male and female relationship, are, and, and, and especially in the family, are created to be the leaders, and there are several reasons for that. One of the reasons is that we see in particular is that, let me ask you here, who received the, the command of God, Adam or Eve? Adam and Eve? Adam, hey, right. So we're going to get on later. Eve at this point hasn't even been created. And matter of fact, it never says that that Eve received the commands of God. They were they were they were from God, went to Adam, and then Adam was supposed to, of course, communicate them and follow them. Um, and follow them, of course, is the hard part for all of us, isn't it? But was supposed to um, communicate those to even, and they were all supposed to follow them together. But here, we see Adam, in particular, um, was given the commands of God. Okay, so Adam had been given the commands of God, and he was created for, there are several instances in the New Testament where it refers back to Genesis for an understanding about gender and marriage, where we see Paul, and we even see Jesus referring over and over again for an understanding about about gender and about marriage. They refer over and over again back to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. So um, that's why we're here in Genesis this morning because uh, good enough for Jesus and Paul, probably good enough for me. All right. So, uh, so in verse 17, uh, yeah, so I'm sorry. So let's move on. Verse 18. The Lord said, so we talked about this, but the Lord said over and over again after every day of creation, He said, it's good, it's good, it's good. He created, He formed. Remember we talked about he, the first three days He was forming and then the next three days He was filling. And every day He said it is good. And this is the first time He said, not good. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. Anyone known, any men who, yeah, yeah, it's not a pretty thing, is it often for men to be alone? Yeah, right. We need women, don't we? I will make a helper suitable for him. And so here we have it, the very first distinction about the roles of men and women, right? Where men were created to take the leadership. And actually, what we're going to see here for Adam, he is particularly held accountable. For the fall, in what we 're going to read in chapter three, but but he is, he is there as leader, he received god 's commandments, God was speaking to him directly when he gave commandments for Adam and Eve, and we see here that, that Eve, in particular, is called to be a helper for Adam now um, Listen, if, if you read a lot lately, there are people who are even in the church who are pastors or preachers in other, other places who would say, well, what's been traditionally understood here is not really what's meant. Listen, I'm here to tell you, this is traditionally understood this way and has been understood for a couple of thousand years because it's the correct interpretation, all right, that women are created to be helpers of men. Now, a lot of people take offense, well, the women folk, right, in particular, take offense at that. Oh, well, I'm just a helper. Listen, what I've been talking about for, for weeks now is that there the, the equality of men and women before God, Absolutely, even men and women created equally before God, but with different roles, right? And we talked about this last week, is that in the Trinity, just like in the Trinity, and this is where marriage is unlike any institution on the planet, is that in marriage is a particularly good representation of what God is like, where we have a man and a woman who are two distinct people, but called by God to live in absolute unity. And, you know, when we read the part where, where Adam and Eve come together and they're essentially married, where, where God calls a man out from his family, from, from his father and mother, and he tells him cleave to or join in unity with your wife. And he calls them into perfect unity and it's a, a representation or a picture of what the Godhead is like. Just like in the Godhead and we read about this, but just like in the Godhead where where the Father is, is, is separate, distinct but unified with the Son and they unified but separate, distinct characters or personalities from the Holy Spirit, but they're all unified perfectly in being and in purpose and our marriage is is supposed to reflect that aspect of our God where we're distinct people but unified completely so that people look at us as one single unit. Right? And we talked about how important that unity is and how it's God's design and God's purpose for us in marriage to come to unity together that we might reflect that greatness of our God. Right, And, and uh, so, anyway, so um, this word, the, root, the word Hebrew, the word in Hebrew here that, that is described helper for Eve, this same word is used about a dozen times referring to God in the Old Testament. It's the word azer, E-Z-E-R, E-Z-E-R in, transliterated into English. And in, in Deuteronomy chapter 33, let me just give you an example. Deuteronomy chapter 33, 33 verse 29 said, blessed are you Israel who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and your helper or azer and your glorious shield, glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will tread on their heights. You see, there are so many places in the scriptures where we see God acting on behalf of people and becoming their helper. And so what what I really want to get across today is that that different Position that different role doesn't mean that women are less important to God or to man in any aspect. They just have a different a difference in the role. Amen. You follow me? Everybody with me? Okay. Very good. Very good. A different role. And actually, in what we're going to see here in Genesis, ladies, i will be—I'll tell you real honest. Well, eh, maybe I shouldn't say that. Let's go on. Let's just continue. Do l- l- you just tell me what you think about what happens to Adam and how he's called out specifically by God? Uh, and you tell me if you want that position. <laughs> Gentlemen, you have it. Congratulations. Genesis chapter 3. Now let's read about the fall. We've been, we've been talking about the creation and the created order and about how God's desire, now get this, God's desire, right? He, he first gives the commands to Adam. He puts him in the garden. Then he creates Eve. We didn't read that part today, but it's there later in, in uh, chapter 2. He puts Eve in the garden with him, and now Adam has received the commands of the words of God, and the serpent is now going to go. You tell me. You know the story. The serpent now goes to whom? Eve, yes, yes, you've read the story, haven't you? Okay, he, he goes to Eve, maybe uh, maybe in a little ways usurping the authority of man when he approaches Eve instead of approaching Adam. But anyway, let's read this. Now the serpent, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat any tree, from any tree uh, in the garden? Uh, which, is, of course, was what, not what the Lord had said, right? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from any from, sorry, we may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. He didn't really say you will not touch it, did he? Something happened between the communication and Adam and Eve. Never happens in your marriage, does it, right? Okay, yeah, mine too, okay. Verse 4, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. Let me pause there for just a moment and let me give you a freebie. Um, Do you remember before Jesus started his earthly ministry, he was baptized and immediately what? What did he do first thing? Call down into the desert, right where he was what? Right where he was tempted, don't be bashful, it's all right, where he was tempted, where he was tempted by Satan. Do you Remember the temptations that Jesus was put through? The first one was what? He said, turn this rock into bread and eat, because, right, so he tempted him with food, right? So the second, third temptations, maybe the second or third doesn't really apply here, but the next one where Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the earth, and he says, bow to me, and all of this is yours, making him what? Like God, right? In, in rule and authority. And what is it here that it says was tempting about about the, the fruit of the, the tr- from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? It was pleasing to the eyes and desirable for gaining wisdom. And in particular, Satan said that it would make them what? Like God. So here's 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 the story all of this of course comes back to the Lord Jesus amen it's all about him this whole book it's all about him it's not really about us we're just we just uh, um, uh, actors on on his stage but but here we go Um, so Adam and Eve in the garden tempted because it was pleasing for food and it would make them like God Um, a couple a few thousand years later um, when Jesus is there and and so here let me ask you this Adam and Eve were tempted where in the garden i'm sorry i've, I've uh, yeah they were tempted in the garden right and so sin happens and and all of all of god's um, creation is corrupted twisted by sin and the curse that would fall on sin and so jesus comes and goes out into the desert which is a perfect symbol for what had happened to the earth and in his and in what is going to be the beginning of his redemption and reclaiming for all that was lost, stands up to Satan and he's not tempted by the food. He's not tempted to be like God because of course we know that he is, but he's not tempted by it anyway. And he is beginning to unravel or undo all that Satan had done through the corruption of sin, right? You with me? Isn't this a beautiful picture? Isn't a beautiful picture of the fall of man in the beautiful garden and then the beginning of the restoration that happened through the Lord Jesus Christ because he is redeeming it all. Not just your salvation and your eternity. He's redeeming your whole life. He's redeeming all of creation for what was lost through the fall. Amen. That is incredible, isn't it, to think. I know you're good Baptist, and I know you've been thinking all your life that, God, that Jesus was redeeming your soul from hell. No, it was much more than that. He's redeeming your life today. He's restoring and repairing what was lost by, by, and corrupted in your mind and your heart right now. He's redeeming and restoring what was twisted and broken in the fall even now, and it will be completed one day, Lord, hasten the day, um, where it's all going to be restored. Everything, you know, from, from what we read under the curse, Jesus Christ is going to redeem it all. Amen? Starts there when he's tempt- tempted by Satan and stands up to Satan and is not tempted by his, uh, by his tricks. Okay. Okay, that was free. Let's move on. Okay. Um, anybody know where we're at? Where was I? You will surely not die, verse 4? Huh? I've gone through six? Okay, good. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also gaining for, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Doesn't ever say it's an apple, by the way, does it? Okay. All right. That's just something we've built into something to the story. She also gave some to her husband who was there with her. I've pointed this out many times, and he ate it. I've pointed this out many times. So we kind of have this picture in mind where the serpent comes to Eve. They're alone in the garden, and the man, you know, the man, is there's Adam, you know, and he's just, he's standing back, and he's not there. He didn't know what's going on, but when he shows up, he's going to be this incredible hero standing up for righteousness and goodness. No, he was there the whole time. It's kind of disappointing, isn't it? Um, He was there the whole time, apparently, for the temptation, or at least showed up there uh, late on the scene, something. But he was there and could have stopped it, of course, but but didn't. Also, it's important to point out he had received the commands of God. Eve had not, and he didn't stop, stop it all from, from going south, right? So, so just as guilty or maybe more guilty, we're going to see maybe here just a moment, uh, Adam even more guilty because he knew God's intention. He knew God's command and didn't put an end to all this. But anyway, he ate the fruit as well. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. There's a lot we could talk about here. Don't have a lot of time. But, but there in the midst of that, after they'd sinned, they become aware of their shame. Right? They became, they're embarrassed to be seen. They, they're, they are naked and now are ashamed. And it had said before, right, that they were naked and not, not ashamed. They were innocent. But now that guilt has come, now that shame has come, now that sin has come upon the earth there's an attempt to cover themselves which is uh, part of what is is um, dangerous about sin isn't it? Is, it is it forces us to cover ourselves right it's why it's why people ask you right when things are going badly in your life and and you see them at work or you see them in church and and you know you've just had a horrible terrible knockdown drag out fight with your wife and people say how are things and you say oh good nice to see you things couldn't be better really fantastic it's a covering right it's that covering of sin. It's one of the things here. Clay's not here this morning. Clay and Sherilyn are former music ministers and, and have moved on to Albuquerque. But Clay would always say one of the things that drove him crazy about Sherilyn is they could be having this knockout down, drag-out fight, just really heated argument about something and really using, you know, a tone that they shouldn't be using together. And someone would call and Sherilyn would say, hello? You know, like nothing was going to make her crazy, right? But we're always covering, aren't we? It's part of sin and something that, that really we've got to be careful about in the church. We've got to be careful about putting on airs to say, well, I don't ever struggle with sin because then the people around you, the people who are around you, and the people who may not be advanced as you in your, in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ think there's something wrong with them because they continue to struggle with sin, right? I, I've got here great revelation. There's something wrong with all of us because we continue to struggle with sin, right? Is that you? Admit it. Raise your hand. Let me see you. You continue to struggle with sin. Yes, all of us. Right? There is none of us who don't continue in this struggle with sin. There is none of us who, the day that we came to the Lord Jesus Christ, are suddenly perfected. Right? All of us will continue in this life to struggle with sin. And fortunately, we have victory. Right? Through through the Lord Jesus Christ and through His Holy Spirit. But anyway, uh, here we are in verse eight. <clears throat> the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day don't you love the picture so here's the lord strolling apparently is what it kind of makes it sound like here he's strolling through the garden in the cool of the day through this beautiful garden of eden and and, and you know listen listen to what was lost here's what was lost because of our sin God was strolling through the Garden of Eden and was, had this intimate relationship, this very personal relationship they, you know, uh, w- with, with Adam and Eve, and they were there together in the garden in this incredible relationship. And what happens, though, at the end of the verse? They hid. Because of sin, because of shame, because they knew what they had done was wrong and they could no longer stand in the Lord's presence, they hid from him. It had never happened before this way. Before apparently, what had happened is that they were able to stand even naked before God, and they felt no shame because they had never sinned. But this point, this day was different because sin ruined it all. Sin twisted it, and 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 sorrow and pain and 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 uh, uh, um, um, <laughs> something else I can't think of. Bad something bad um, came into the world. And, and just ruin the relationship, and it's not just going to ruin the relationship. We'll continue to read. Um, sin ruins, really, a lot of creation. Okay. Um, they hid from the Lord from among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to the man. Notice, who did he call to? Okay, so the first person he calls to, now God, right? God doesn't show up and say, oh, what have you done, right? It, it's not like that. Nothing gets by him. He already knows. That's right. This is one of the reasons why we shouldn't hide in our sin. It's not like you're hiding something from God. He, knew, he knows your sin. He knows your sin. He knows what you've done. There's no reason to hide from him. So we should all remove the fig leaves before him figuratively and, um, <clears throat> and just confess our sin. It's through confession, right, that we've, we've, we come to forgiveness and healing. Figuratively, very important. Um, the Lord called him and said, where are you? <clears throat> and he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Notice notice the things that are popping up now after sin. They, they, there's hiding uh, and there's covering. And now there's what? There's fear. It hadn't happened before. Everything's changed now. What was the creation before this day was totally different. But now there's fear and hiding and covering uh, because sin has ruined uh, has ruined it all. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now, Adam, in in sheer masculine you know, um, um, confidence and, and, and righteousness, he stands before God and said, put it all on me. Not what happened, is it? He's the woman that you gave me, you know, she's the one who did it. Isn't it funny that in that he kind of in, um, involves God in the blaming? He said, the woman that you gave me, she did this. Not It wasn't me. Oh, goodness. Not, not exa- at all courageous. Not the, not the man that we hope to be, right? But then the, I'm sorry, Ooh, I'm, I'm wrong page. Um, and he said, who told you you were making the man? So the said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit, and I ate it. And then the Lord spoke to the woman. Okay, so first, so here, here, here's the deal. So, um, the, so the, then the, the, God goes first to the man. I want to show you again is that, what I want to show you again is that here, the man is being held accountable and he's the first one that God goes to. Why is that? Is because in the, in the biblical model of marriage, the way God has created marriage, the man is the leader of the, of the marriage. And because of that, he's also the one accountable for what happens. So because his family had sinned, God calls Adam out to accountability and says, what have you done, right? Now, Eve ate it first, right? Of course, he blamed her. But Eve ate it first, but it was man who was called out. And, and let me tell you um, some other passages that, that kind of back this up. Um, later, on in, in see, um, later on in the New Testament, we're going to see... Later on in the New Testament, we're going to see Adam is the one who's called out in particular for, um, for this sin, a matter of fact, it's going to say later on, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's going to say, in Adam all died. Right? It doesn't say in Adam and Eve, in, in, in the, the first couple, it says in Adam all died. All died. What that's a reference to is that because we are all dead in sin because of Adam's original sin, right? But then the, uh, there are other parts. It says, many died through one man's trespass in Romans chapter 5. It says, many died through one man's trespass. Eve isn't even, even mentioned in the fall of all humanity. One man is, and it's Adam. How about that? How'd you like to be responsible for that? Eeh, yeah, that's kind of rough, isn't it? Okay. In, in Adam, all die, but it would go on to say, but in one man, um, all may live. Okay. Then, uh, then the Lord said, so then man addresses, or God addresses first the man, and now he's going to address the woman. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. So the, wo- the woman, just like the man, right, transference of blame, says, well, um, you know, the man blamed me, I'm going to blame the serpent. It was the, it was the serpent, he deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord said to the serpent, so the first thing that happens is that the Lord's going to now um, call about a curse because of what's happened, and the first one belongs to the serpent. First, so he says to the serpent, who we know is the devil, cursed are you above all the livestock and the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Okay, let me tell you what's happening here. So we have a covering of sins, which is really a a foreshadowing of what would happen in the need for mankind for someone to come and to cover over our sins, right? That's a foreshadowing or foretelling of the coming salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ and how his death on the cross and his blood covers over all of our sin. Now we have this, which is another um, allusion to the Lord Jesus Christ, Um, He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring, your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is all a foreshadowing of what's going to happen when the Lord sends the Lord Jesus Christ uh, into the world and Satan's attempts to to defeat him. But ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ will what? Oh, come on, you've got to say it better than that. Man, what what does he say? He says he's going to crush his head. Don't you love that? Man, I'm ready for that. That's good. That's good stuff. And ultimately, through his resurrection, he crushes or he defeats all the plans of Satan and all that was done through the fall um, and, and will be ultimately, uh, will, will achieve all that he desires in, reserve, in reversing the curse um, in, in a great day to come. So anyway, so verse 16, now there's going to be a curse that comes to the woman and then to the man. So to the woman, he says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Let me pause there for just a moment. Okay, so God had created women and men already with a very distinct role. From the beginning, Eve was going to be conceiving children. She was going to be the one by whom the offspring came, right? She would be the one to to bear children. However, now because of sin, the curse was that there's going to be a little twisting, a little distortion, a little pain, and a little sorrow to their distinct roles, right? right? To their distinct roles. So for women in childbearing, there would now... Be pain, and there would be suffering, and there would be sorrow through through childbearing. Right? Okay. So now, what God had intended for good now has been tainted by sin. Now it's going to come through pain. Okay. So the woman's role in bearing children now came with pain. It didn't before the fall. In verse uh, the middle of verse sixteen, we're going to come back to that in just a moment. So trust me. Verse sixteen: Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam. So here's the curse for Adam. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree from which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, here's that word pain again, through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, and from dust you are, and to dust you will return. Okay. So, boy, there's a lot going on here. The first thing is the cursing of the ground. Is that right? There would be thorns, there would be thistles that would grow up now so that there would be corruption that affected the whole earth. It's actually the all of creation, but here the reference is to the whole earth. So, the reasons why the, the, it's so difficult, right, for people to to uh, survive and wh- why it's so difficult and why we can't just wander around plucking fruit off of trees is because the earth was corrupted by the fall of mankind. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then, so yeah, so uh, so men would toil, and their calling to work that, that God had given to to Adam in Genesis chapter two. Now their calling was going to come through pain and sorrow and suffering, right? Because of the fall. All right, and also it ends in verse nineteen. It says, um, "So death has now come into the into the world; hadn't come before, but here here we go. From dust you are, and to dust you will return. So God puts in place death um, to take the life of man from that point forward. So Um, Let's go back though, let's go back to um, the middle of verse 16. Let me describe for you um, really the reason why we have conflict and struggle in marriage. Okay, the middle of verse 16. Look with me, it says, he's talking to Eve here and he says, your desire will be for your husband. I've been perplexed by what that meant for years and I finally read uh, a a lady named Stephanie uh, Toe who wrote about this in, in a journal article and just brilliant. But basically what she found was, that in Hebrew, this phrase, your desire, uh, your desire will be for your husband, are the same six words in the same exact order as what, as what God had said to Cain in Genesis chapter 4. Now, you remember Cain, what, slew Abel, slew his brother Abel. But the Lord had warned him because he had offered a, a sacrifice that really didn't mean anything to him. Um, and uh, so before this, in Genesis chapter 4, the, verse 7, listen to what it says. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? In other words, God was telling him, if you would offer a sacrifice that, that, that is uh, a, a sacrifice worthy of your offering, something that's meaningful to you, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Here's the, 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 the metaphor here, or the symbolism is of a, of a wild animal who's crouching and waiting to pounce on him, right? And so, listen to what it says here. It now, what's he talking about? What's the it here? Sin desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So here he's talking about sin, and he says, "Sin, oh, sorry, sin desires to have you." That those same six words with different pronouns are used here in Genesis chapter three. Your desire will be for your husband. The desire that's mentioned here is not some sexual desire. It's not something else. It is a desire to rule over. It's a desire to conquer. It's a desire to be over. Just like just the same phrase that's used in Genesis chapter 4, where it says sin desires to have you, desires to rule over or desires to conquer you. The same six words with different pronouns are used in Genesis chapter 2. Okay, so that man, that cleared a lot of things up for me. Now I finally, I think I understand this. So what it's saying here is that Eve would now desire to overcome or usurp her husband's authority and rule in the family. Yeah. Okay. And the very next phrase in the same exact verse says the same thing about man. L- read with me. And he will rule over you. That word "rule" that's used there is is a term that's spoken of of like a monarch, someone who's not a, you know not some representative government, but it has nuances of being a harsh and a very self-serving ruling. You You could say that he desires to lord over you, would be another way to say this, is that he desires to rule over you, where the woman desires to overthrow or desires to conquer the rule of the man, the man will desire to lord over and rule over the woman, right? And so this is part of the curse, is conflict in marriage. Now, can anyone attest in your own personal life that you've experienced this? Weird. Yeah, strange, isn't it? Yeah I, yeah, I think we could all say that. I think we could all say that this has been a, a struggle for us. Well, why? Well, because it's, it's part of that original, that remaining sin in us that happened at the fall. Just as surely as women go through pain in childbirth, we all go through pain in our marriages because of the, of the fallenness of, of that institution of marriage because of what's happened in the sin and the twisting of our hearts and minds to want to be first, to want to get our way and it, and it affects every one of our marriages, right? It does. It does. Every, every one of ours. Let me, uh, let me tell you, you guys are aware of, my, of our story. Oh, goodness. Um, you guys are aware of our story, but for years, Brent and I had a really, really hard time getting along. Um, it was a short period of time. It was about seven years. That's not true. It was a long, long time. And, you know, seven years when you're not getting along seems like an eternity. Um, but, um, We finally, you know, after years of me telling Brenda, no, let's not go to counseling. We'll just fix this. I'll just work harder. I'll just love you better. That never worked, right? Never worked for us. Finally um, submitted and said, listen, listen, we got to seek out some counsel. We went to the pastor of of our church here, who was a pastor before me, and, and sought out their counsel. They counseled with us for about a year and, uh, and really helped us unwind all the hurt, all the mess, all the, all the uh, just ball of confusion and misunderstandings and, and especially hurt and helped us kind of separate that and figure out where we were. But let me tell you, it was some message like this that changed our lives where we heard for the first time, what you're doing in your life is dishonoring to God. What you're doing in your marriage is dishonoring to God. And we fell into real conviction for the first time and say, wow, uh, we need to fix this. We we need the Lord's help, but we've got to fix this because living in constant conflict is not what God desires for our marriage. Amen? Amen. And matter of fact, so... If, if it's true that what happened in, in the conflict, that, that women want to usurp and th- overthrow uh, the authority of men, and that men want to lord over in, in our sinful state, that, that we want to lord over uh, uh, women, then you would expect to find, and if it's true, that Jesus all the while wants to undo what was broken in the fall, then what would you expect to find in the New Testament, right? Wouldn't you expect to find in the New Testament where, where men and women are, where men are encouraged to lead their families tenderly not to lord over but to tenderly care for their families wouldn't you expect to find also in the new testament where it would say something like women you know uh, don't over try to overthrow you know respect your man's position as leader in your homes you know the funny thing you know what we find in the new testament in colossians chapter 3 it says paul writes wives submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the lord husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them You see, in all this, and I've been telling you this for weeks, maybe months here, in all aspects, Jesus Christ desires to overthrow all that that Satan has done in your marriages, in your life, In your mind, in your own personal holiness, in your your desire for holiness, in in relationships uh, on the earth, the Lord Jesus is undoing one thing at a time, all that Satan has twisted and distorted and destroyed, including pain and sorrow. Those things and even death will one day be put down because the Lord Jesus will reign victorious over it all. But today, what I'm talking about is your marriage. In your marriage, God desires unity. In your marriage, God has created a design which the man and the woman have different roles but are equal before him, but he wants men to lead their families lovingly, tenderly, and he wants women to respect and encourage their husbands. Let me, let me, let me say this. I think I forgot to give this. Do you have First John 3, 8, Jason? I didn't, I think, I thought, I thought I forgot that. I tell you, while you're right there in Genesis and you're right there under the curse, just jot that. If you write in your Bible, just jot that in there. This is really important. Genesis, I'm sorry. In Genesis, write down 1 John 3.8. We're going to be in 1 John as we read through um, our scriptures in the, in the month of June, as we read through a chapter every day we've been doing for about a year and a half. Um, we're going to be in 1 John this week. So um, 1 John 3.8, the first part says, The one who does what is sinful is of the, the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Okay, listen to the second part of the, that verse. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So the Lord Jesus Christ has come to undo all the pain, all the sorrow, all the twisting, all the distortion of the relationship, and he desires in your marriage to restore how it was meant to be from the beginning. Two distinct people living in unity, living in peace, coming together um, being kind, being loving toward each other, not trying to win, not trying to lord over each other, but trying to come together in decisions, trying to make decisions together, trying to help each other, trying to encourage each other, and try to be unified in their approach to life and children and finances and work and ministry and everything else. Amen? That's his desire for you. That's one of the reasons the Lord Jesus Christ came was to fix what was broken in our lives and in our marriages. Amen? Amen. And let me tell you, I can stand and tell you as testimony, the Lord Jesus can fix even the worst of marriage problems. Amen. We had one of those, and it was ugly. It was hard. It was difficult. But the Lord God has been gracious to us and has saved my family and has saved my children. Amen. Let me, let me close like this. There are just a couple of things I want to point out to you. This is that um, men, leadership in the Scripture Always seeks first the good of those being led, not the leader. Listen, this, if you want to learn how to be a leader in the, in, 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 in the Scriptures, the Scripture d- describes a servant leader who is always concerned for the people who are under him, who are always concerned for the people who, whom he serves as their leader, always thinking about them, just like the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? He sacrificed himself for us. He put our needs ahead of his, and he said, I will die for them Right, and he laid down his life. In, in Ephesians chapter five, in particular, verses 22 through 33, we don't have time to go through it today. But that in particular says, "Men love your wives like Jesus Christ loved the church, who gave himself for her." It's this willingness of a man to lay down his life to say, "No, you first. Your needs ahead of mine. What you desire, what you need ahead of what I desire. Not for me to win." Not for me to win the arguments, not for me to win the, you know, to, to try to, to lord my, my uh, authority over you, but for me to serve well as a leader and the one who will be held accountable for what happens in my family, man. That's what we're called to and we're held accountable for, just like Adam was. Amen? You got that? You got broad enough shoulders for that? Uh, only with the Lord's help. Yeah, only with the Lord's help. Apart from the Lord's help, we're all going to fold like Adam, right? We have to stand in the strength the Lord gives us. Okay, um, the next thing is this: is, uh, for ladies. Ladies, man, your husband, you, we need encouragement. We need our wives to speak to us in a way uh, to encourage. And, and here's what I'd say. Your husband will rise or fall to the level of your encourage, encouragement and your belief in him. I, I tell you, there is nothing more powerful in a man's life than a woman who believes in him. Men, is that true? There is nothing more powerful than that except for maybe Lord Jesus Christ and the whole power of the Holy Spirit in you. Besides that, the second thing is a woman who believes in you. A woman who believes in you and thinks that you can accomplish anything. Listen, that's fantastic. Jo- Jonathan, help me out here with a quote from uh, um, um, Russell Crowe show. What's that called? Cinderella Man. Great show. You need to see it if you haven't. What's he say? So his wife turns to him and he says, you are the bulldogger of Brooklyn you're your children's hero, and you're the champion of my heart. I, I've trained Brenda. She says this to me now. Even though I've told her what to say, it doesn't even matter. It's like, oh, yeah, I love Daniel. Man, I can do anything. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Listen, w- ladies, um, we, we need your encouragement. Your, your man cannot be all that God intends for him to be without you. We, we just can't. We, we need your encouragement. We, we need your belief in us to encourage us all, along the way. And men, you got to love your family tenderly, You've got to stand up for them. You've got to protect them. And you've got to step up and take your role as that servant leader in your home with the Lord's help. Are you with me? That's how God's created us to be. And that's what God wants us to do to restore your marriage. Let's close like this. Would you just bow your eyes and, I'm sorry, bow your heads, close your eyes. I do that occasionally. It's all right. Um, bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Let's, uh, let's, lem, let me just take a time, take some time. Listen, it doesn't matter how you started in your marriage. And listen, all of us have struggled with conflict in our marriage. All of us have struggled because we want to win the fight. We want to win the argument. We want to get our way. And, you know, I don't care how long you've been married. There's still some of that in each of us, isn't there? There's still some way that that original sin still fights and, and, and desires to win in, those, in, in our marriage relationship. Well, here's what I want to tell you today. If your marriage is constant conflict, though, if in your marriage there's a constant battling about who's going to win and who's going to be first and who's going to get their way, that's not God's desire for you. God's desire for you, now that you're in the family of the Lord Jesus Christ, now that you know you're a Redeemer, this salvation of your soul is also supposed to affect your marriage. This is, the gospel that you've received is absolutely life changing, including a change in your relationship with your husband and your wife. And here's the great thing. It doesn't matter how you started. It only matters how you finish. It matters where you go from here because all the conflict and all the trouble that you've had to this point so far, it's all forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all put away. He's removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. And so we don't have to hide. We don't have to be embarrassed. We don't have to sow fig leaves and and hope that no one finds about our our marriage problems. That's not the case. The truth is, is that the Lord wants to bring to you the truth that he desires unity in your home. He desires unity for you to come to the place that you can lovingly serve each other. He wants that for you as bad as, maybe even worse than you do. He wants that for you. Would you take some time now? Let's just pray to God. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, all of us have these struggles. All of us struggle. Sometimes, you know, we want to manipulate or we want to force our way. We want to win the arguments. We want to get our way. And that's just part of that, that remaining sin that we all struggle with. And so, Father, we just pray that you would just continue your work of redemption in us. We pray that you continue work of sanctification and, and just continue to drive out that selfishness in us and replace it with that spirit of love that, that comes from your Holy Spirit. But Father, beyond that, we, uh, I want to pray for those people who might be in conflict day after day and don't know how to escape it. Heavenly Father, our hope is found in in you and you alone. So, Lord, I want to lift up those who are struggling or having conflict in their marriage right now here today. I don't want, Lord, I just pray that you would speak a word of encouragement to them this morning by your Spirit and, and ask, Lord God, that you would help them, just to, that you would show them that there's a way out, that there's a way for restoration, there's a way for redemption, and there's a way to bring unity back into their marriage. And that's through you and maybe through some biblical counseling, Father. Uh, but I just pray that you'd give them all encouragement this morning, that the, there is hope. Even for, the, even for the most troubled of marriages, even for the most secretive sins, even for the most secretive um, conflict that any of us have, and, that <clears throat> and all that's found in you. And so, Father, I pray for your help for them. I pray that you would give them encourage the courage to, to seek out someone who could help them and to reach out for them and just guide them through the steps um, to, to be redeemed and restored in their marriage. And for an end of the conflict, I pray this in the great name of our Savior, who redeems all of our lives, It's in his name that we pray, amen, amen. Listen, I love you guys. I appreciate you being here today. Join us at the pool on Wednesday from 6 to 7.30, if you will. It'll be a great time. We'll get wet. It'll be a great time. Thanks very much. Yes, ma'am.